Power and Responsibility. The Data Center Podcast is brought to you by Echelon Data Centers. Hi, welcome to Power and Responsibility, uh, the Echelon Data Centers Podcast, which we're putting together because data centers are essential infrastructure. By 2025, uh, the Dataverse, that's the amount of data that is created each year, uh, will reach about 175 zettabytes in total. Now, zettabyte, put that into context, 175 zettabytes is enough data for every man, woman, and child on the planet to take more than 100 selfies every day. Now, that's a lot. Obviously, all that data has to be stored, managed, processed, uh, and it's done in data center infrastructure. Data centers are getting larger and larger and larger. And let's face it, at the end of the day, if we want our mobile phones to work, if we want to be able to buy stuff online, if we want to be able to stream Netflix, if we want to take advantage of new technologies like artificial intelligence and the internet of things, then we need these data centers. They are absolutely necessary. Of course, the biggest issue for data centers is the power they use. They use a lot. And the challenge for the sector is to build and power and operate data centers that are large enough to cater for the requirements of a modern society, but are also clean, responsible and run sustainably. So this means working with providers of renewable energy. It means investing in alternative energy sources. It means focusing on energy efficiency. It means improving energy storage. It means delivering social value. In this series of podcasts, we're talking to experts in these areas and the providers of solutions that data centers can work with to meet the sustainability challenge. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the production of biogas or waste to energy. Of course, there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, Biogas production, the anaerobic digestion process, takes waste that would go to landfill and be a pollutant or be spread on the land to leach into our waterways and uses it to produce power. At the end of the process, what's left over is a valuable commodity for agriculture. Now, Ireland is lagging behind the rest of Europe in terms of biogas production, which has seemed to be something of an issue, given that there is a potential to address a sizable percentage of the country's energy needs through the production of biogas. Now, all of this is particularly topical, given this week's announcement of a €60 million investment to provide a biogas production facility powered by chicken poop in County Antrim. The investment is coming from Pioneer Point Partners. They're another based private equity company, which also happens to be in bed with Echelon Data Center. They are. They're they're investing in Echelon's Dub20 site in Arkell County, Wicklow, all of which we will get to in the process of this podcast. Absolutely. But talk, I mean, talking about Pioneer Point Partners, they, they have previous in this, and one of their big investments is, in fact, a Danish uh, anaerobic digestion facility powered wholly by pig poo. Danish bacon, Danish pigs, lots of poo. However, another point there is that Pioneer Point Partners are investing in Northern Ireland. And we know that Northern Ireland has over 40 plants like this producing biogas. Whereas in Ireland, well, there are a couple attached to farms and there's one or possibly two uh, in commercial production. When you think that there are 250 decent-sized plants like this could provide 25% of Ireland's national gas, it does make you wonder why it's not being done. With us today is Declan Murray, who's Managing Director of Biocore Environmental, uh, one of, if not the, leading operator of biogas production facilities in Ireland. So welcome, Declan. Hi, Jeremy. Good to see you. 
So first off, and starting from the beginning, talk us through what the anaerobic digestion yeah. process is, what it takes in and what it puts out. Yeah, probably a good place to start to give you a bit of background <laughs> on, on, on what it actually does. And I think probably the easiest way to explain it is that we've got some very efficient anaerobic digesters wandering around the countryside and they're called cows, cattle. And, uh, and essentially they do the same process as we do. We take in biological material, organic material. We put it into our first stomach, which is our digester one. Uh, we heat it up to a uh, relatively warm heat, not hot, but 37, 38 degrees. We grow some uh, stomach bugs within that digester and they break down the dry matter that's sent into the digester. Uh, we then finish in stomach one, move over to stomach two and carry out the process. This is to give us uh, the ability to deal with, um, I suppose, a, a significant amount of the material rather than just having one digester and it's more efficient. And I think the easiest way to explain that would be we would get 80% of our production out of our first phase of the process and 20% of our production out of the second phase of the process. And really, we can use any material that has an organic content in it. Um, and once it doesn't have any inhibitors to the process. And the inhibitors would be basically the same inhibitors that you would not expect animals or humans to eat because they kill the biology. And the anaerobic digestion process will be as efficient as it can be with good, healthy bugs held at the right temperature and doing their job. And the bugs break down the organic material within the feedstocks and part uh, the result of that process is methane gas. And the methane gas is trapped within our process is then cleaned up and fed into either the national gas grid as renewable uh, gas or fed into combined heat and power engines which produce electricity. So what's left over after the gas is cleaned up and stored? What do you have after that? Well, everything you put in, you effectively take back out again because we kind of do our calculations in the basis of tons in and tons out. And while we put in uh, in, in a plant, like, for example, we have a most common 20,000 tonnes of organic material. We take out 20,000 uh, cubic metres of liquid material out the back, the difference being that there's less dry matter in it, uh, the difference being that all the methane has been extracted, uh, and therefore there is no gaseous impact on the environment. And also, uh, because of our process, all our digestate, our final result, is passed through pasteurizers, which are essentially the same as you you do to uh, clean up your milk and your various foods and we kill all possible bugs and pathogens that might be in the digestate thus giving you a product at the end which in its liquid form is a very high value nutrient fertilizer and also contains none of the pathogens bugs etc that would have been in the raw feedstock going in at the front end so looking at it from an environmental and sustainability point of view are we looking at a process where it's zero waste? That would be correct. We we have no waste coming out the back end. Everything we have at the end of our process is has a value, is of use. And it's uh, it's it's an exceptionally high quality organic fertilizer. And for example, I think every ton of chemical fertilizers you displace, you would be talking about saving uh, five tons of carbon emitted to the atmosphere, which is what it takes to make a, a, a ton of chemical fertilizers. And uh, in addition, our ability to produce a steady flow of the material at the time when it's required by the farmer stroke the land, rather than simply having to get rid of something that's a problem to a farmer at the moment. Looking at the, the methane gas that's produced 
how much methane gas are you getting out of, as you were saying there, 20 tonnes or per tonne? Okay, well, for, for 20,000 tonnes, we're producing just over one megawatt of electricity. So that's probably the easiest way to explain it. It's coming in at about 3 million cubic metres of gas per year. So it is essentially our, our, our engines that produce electricity uh, use the gas we produce as a fuel rather than diesel or petrol or other contaminants. And so what what could you power with that amount of electricity? One, one megawatt of electricity is somewhere in the region of 2,000 houses per year. Probably the easiest way to describe it. And um, if you look at any of the villages in Ireland or the small towns in Ireland, an anaerobic digester would probably provide maybe 70 to 90 percent of their power, depending on the size. Uh, in addition, our power, unlike wind and solar, is 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 flatlined. We have it available 24 hours a day, seven days a week at the same rate. Looking at what you're producing and looking at what other biogas production facilities are producing, are we tapping into this potential yet? And how do we compare to other European countries? Uh, I think we're 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 very much behind the curve on uh, on the use of anaerobic digestion. Um, there are, I suppose, the best way to describe it would be that in the UK there are in excess of uh, two or three hundred plants. In Ireland, there are two or three, uh, of which ours would probably be the first that's built entirely to purpose in Roscommon. And the issue really is around what supports are available from the state for 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 producing uh, biogas, because biogas is more expensive than natural gas in the sense that it's an ongoing process. We've got to work every single day to produce it. It's not like drilling a hole into the ground and going, oh, whoopee, we found 5 million cubic metres of gas. We can just pump that and sell it. So while natural gas uh, or, or fossil fuel electricity is got a simple front end to it in the sense that if it's there, you can use it, uh, our front end is taking material that would otherwise be a waste, and that has to be counted within the, the circular economy in terms of how we're dealing with wastes that are currently not being handled correctly, are going to landfill, are, are releasing all the various gases into air, are going to land spread and not being fully treated or treated properly. Um, so I think there's the double benefit of producing power and dealing with the waste. But that does make the process more expensive than just drilling a hole into the ground. What would you say the potential is then for biogas within Ireland? What what should we be looking to produce and what sort of difference can it make to the kind of blend of renewables and sustainable energy that we need going forward? Well, I suppose if you look at it, if you look at the overall sustainable energy footprint within Ireland, you've got you've got quite a bit of wind, you've got quite a bit of solar, which means that the electrical grid is quite well supported from a renewable point of view. However, if you look at the natural gas grid, uh, the natural gas grid is at this moment in time 99% fossil fuel. It's it's importing gas uh, primarily from the UK through the gas interconnector and uh, selling that on to people here in, in Ireland. However, if you were to convert 20 to 25% of the gas usage in Ireland to renewable gas, there would be the ability to immediately build 250 anaerobic digesters in the country. And what would that deliver, the 250? Because at the moment we've got one, really, uh, yours, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we had 250, what sort of impact would that make? That would mean that 25% of all the gas used within the country would be produced within Ireland rather than being imported. We, we have got very little natural resources when it comes to natural gas. And really, in terms of energy security, 
and having the ability to keep the lights on if there is a problem with the interconnectors and the pipelines, it's very limited at the moment. And it's one of the main reasons why uh, Money Point, which is a dirty power station, must be kept running on coal because we can stockpile coal and keep the uh, keep the lights on for a number of days, up to a week, maybe 10 days, while problems are sorted out. Whereas if we are supplying 25% of our natural gas internally within the country, well, that gives us far firmer footing going forward. And would there be enough, it may be a silly question, would there be enough feedstock for 250? Yes, there's been a lot of studies done in the country on the availability of organic feedstock and what's currently being done. And if you even, even excluding the farming sector, which is a whole other area which would like to come into the anaerobic digestion front, you would have uh, sufficient quantities of feedstock on the organic end of the market to power 250 plants without having to look that hard for it. Quite clearly, you've said it's more expensive. So I presume that cost reduces with scale. Cost will reduce with scale and cost reduces with efficiency, obviously. But you would still be looking at, I think the the, the best way to explain it to you would be if I have to take a ton of material out of the back of my plant and bring it to a farmer, I've got to find a truck to do that and pay for it. If I'm running a natural gas turbine, it comes out of the ground and I don't worry about it after that. I turn my turbine and that's the end of it. So, so you have a front and a back end process in the AD process, whereas in suppose non-renewable power is simply soaking in what's available to you and no back end to deal with. So really the the increased cost in producing uh, renewable gas is on dealing with the back end and having the material or having the machinery in place to do that and having the processes in place to do that. So what we're saying is in order to, I mean, were we to do away with fossil fuels and to adopt biogas as a solution, then we would be paying more. You would be paying more for each cubic meter of gas, but in the overall circular end of the of the uh, I suppose energy economy, it would be cheaper because it is renewable. So therefore, it's going to last forever. And secondly, it is also dealing with a problem that we're currently facing carbon fines for for putting biological material, organic material into landfill. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there, there's there's an article in uh, in the journal which talks about. Ireland spending money on carbon offset fines or whatever it is, rather than investing in plants such as yours. Uh, so that's very germane. And I think there is a point to be made also about the fact that climate change is not going to be a cheap solution. Well, climate change is not going to be cheap. And the longer the longer we, we leave it without tackling the basic causes of it, the bigger the problem is going to be. And I think we're almost, if not already, at a stage where we should be utilising every available technology to deal with the climate change problem, while also producing a product that can make Ireland more sustainable and more standaloneable, for want of a better word, in terms of having the ability to generate its own power and not depend on third parties to provide us with fuel to continue to operate as a country. I'm just looking at that article, and in 2020, so last year alone, we paid out $50 million for renewable energy transfers from Denmark and Estonia. Just looking at that figure, that $50 million, and, and that's by no means all the payments that went out, what would an investment of $50 million do for an industry like the biogas industry? I think if you invested approximately the €50 million Euros per year, that would pay in its entirety for the subsistence or the subsidy for natural gas for 250 AD plants. So drilling into that a little bit, how does the price work? 
So so basically we've we've got a we've got a base price for, for natural gas at the moment. I think it's about two and a half cent per kilowatt hour on the open market. Um renewable gas costs approximately six and a half cent. So it's about a four cent difference. And if you take that four cent and divide that into your 53 or 52 million that you've spent bringing in this gas, which is produced in this way in Estonia and various other places, you w- you are effectively paying back the tariff to the foreign countries where you could be paying the tariff to your own producers. So to be absolutely clear that basically we could produce our own biogas and it could be charged to the end consumer, the end user, at the price of currently natural gas, and that's the government paying to subsidise our own industry rather than subsidise. Yeah, I think it's like it's like it's like every every industry. You you need to reach a point where you have maturity within the industry, which means it can stand on its own two feet. If you don't invest anything in, and I mean the data centres are a case in point. Data centres were were only available in Silicon Valley in California, maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Now we're probably one of the biggest data centre operators in certainly in Europe, if not in the world. And why is that? Because we have an industry that's sustainable, that's got people, customers to use its product, and therefore it's as cheap, if not cheaper, to do it in Ireland as it is to do it in California. Looking at it from a, a wider perspective, I suppose of the economy. You're keeping 50 million that would be going out of the country. You're keeping it in Ireland. You're investing in Ireland. And presumably, you're also investing in jobs. You're pervest- investing in cleaner farming. And presumably, you were talking about the, the the benefits of the fertilizer that is a byproduct of the biogas production. Presumably, that includes uh, not just land, uh, but includes runoff into rivers and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in the whole wider context of, of- how you apply fertilizers we, we we don't have the the nicest climate in the world for for putting a lot of fertilizer on land because we get a lot of rain and we get rain quite frequently so in order for fertilizer to work it has to go on and it has to have the ability to leach into the land settle into the land but if it's going to rain for four days after you put out 50 tons of fertilizer the reality is 40 something tons of that will end up wherever the rain ran off to Whereas if you're doing what we do with all our digestates, we do uh, an awful lot of disc injection, which which injects it two or three inches down into the soil and is not affected by the rain. And it has an immediate availability. Chemical fertilizers are not immediately available to the plant. In fact, chemical fertilizers would be probably only 40% available over the lifetime of the fertilizer. Uh, whereas your it's 100% availability to the plant. 100% availability. So we've... I- identified the benefits here we've identified some of the issues what are the plans for biocore going forward to try and um, grow the industry as you say you talk about it being established you talk about the benefits when it becomes established what steps are you taking to try and achieve that well it's it's actually one of the key reasons why we uh, why we joined up with echelon because as you pointed out at the start there's 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 a huge power demand for the data center we can provide natural gas, which allows them to run their own generators and provide some, only some, of their of their requirements for the power. Uh, but in addition to that, one of the other pollutants, if you like, from data centers is heat. There's a huge amount of heat to get rid of. And it's one of the problems in running a data center is trying to keep it cool enough that your, your machinery is not overheating. In the AD process, we have a requirement for heat. So we will take all available heat from the Echelon data center uh, on our project in Arklo and use that to heat our tanks. 
Power and Responsibility. The Data Center Podcast is brought to you by Echelon Data Centers. About a month or two ago, Echelon Data Centers and Biocore announced the establishment of a biogas production facility at Echelon's Dub 20 site in Arkle. Can you tell me a little bit about what, what the plans are for there? Yeah, so the site uh, in, in terms of of the anaerobic digestion side of it is is ideal for us because it's it's a big industrial site which is going to produce some heat that it wants somebody to deal with and it's going to have a large power requirement. But it's also not in a highly built up urban area. So if you look at my process where I have got to take in 50, 60,000 tonnes into a digester of that size for, for Arclo and take out 50 or 60,000 tonnes to available agricultural land within a very short distance. Shorter the distance I have to travel, the less carbon footprint I have. So if I can produce that much good fertiliser within, say, a 15 kilometre range of farms around Arclo, I wouldn't need to transfer, I wouldn't need to transport any further than that. And so what, how, how much power are you looking to produce in Arco then? Down in Arco, we'll be looking at an equivalent four megawatts of power through the production of gas. Our technology allows us to, and we call it cleaning, it's more like refining. Um, biogas comes out about, out of my process, at about 65% methane and 35% carbon dioxide. And that's a whole other different conversation because we then capture the carbon dioxide. But in terms of the methane, that methane requires some refinement to get it to the standard to match what the natu- natural gas grid uses. And we would inject directly into that grid. So it's it's not true to say you can put in any gas, but you can put in any gas that meets the same standards that the grid requires. It's possible that the, the gas network in Ireland could at some point be given over to a combination of renewable uh, gases. Almost all the grid, probably not quite that much, but a lot of the grid could be. And where it becomes very useful to have your own gas is a lot of the areas within the country would not be big enough to sustain uh, an increase in the gas network grid, which is hugely expensive to run a transmission line to wherever to provide gas to three different villages. Whereas we can put in a hub and our gas producer produces gas for them three different villages. And, And there is no natural gas line. There is only a distribution line. So, again, if you look at how natural gas works throughout Europe, you've got what they call a transmission line, then you've got a distribution line, and then you've got your local network. So we would we could knock out the, the, the uh, transmission line. Is this happening in Europe already? Yes, it happens quite frequently in Europe, um, and particularly in, in, in Germany and places like that. They've, uh, they've got what they call virtual grids where there is no natural gas grid, connections to the natural gas grid, but a lot of the villages and towns are on natural gas because there's two or three digesters producing enough gas to, to ensure there's plenty of power there, plenty of gas there for the uh, for the operation of a grid in that area. So we could be talking about Arclow power. Oh, essentially you could, yeah. You could, you could probably. Now, the interesting thing about Arclow, and one of the reasons, again, why, why the Echelon tie-up to us was, was interesting is that there is already a gas line in Arclow. So what that also does then is go, well, if Echelon don't need all our gas for whatever reason, we can inject it into the grid. Or if, Ech- if Echelon need more gas than we can produce, they can take some out of the grid. But rather than depending entirely on the grid and saying, oh, look, all my gas is non-renewable, they will run on renewable gas and add in what they need on top of that if I can't produce enough. It's exciting because the idea of, I mean, 250 plants producing 25% of Ireland's natural gas uh, needs it doesn't sound like a big ask. 
How big are these plants? Footprint is interesting because unlike most other industries, we 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 are we are pretty flexible in terms of how we put it together. So we we either put in wide flat tanks or tall skinny tanks. It's probably the best way to put it. But at the end of the day, the tank will have 4,000 cubic metres in it, and that's all it'll have. And whether it's 15 metres high or 5 metres high really depends on the footprint that you have available to you. And we would probably say a 50,000 tonne plant with everything, all in four acres. Right, okay. So it's not, I mean, I I, I think possibly uh, when we talk about this, you have people thinking about tanks as far as the eye can see, and, mm-hmm. and yeah. all of a sudden they've got a view of, one of these, you know, big steel or oil plants with cracking powers and the rest of it. Uh, so it's reassuring to hear that actually uh, that's not what we're talking about. Um, going back to Arclo briefly and, and the, the Dub 20 site down there, there, there is a, a link to the gas grid there. Supposing there wasn't, can you pressurise or liquefy the gas and move it that way? Yeah, one of the things that we're, we're, we're looking at for, for possible future plants in conjunction with Gas Networks Ireland is... Um, is compression of upgraded natural gas. Now, there's some technicalities involved in it. You've got to upgrade your gas first before you compress it. You can't compress biomethane, which is what I produce before it's upgraded because there's moisture content in it and carbon and oxygen. But if I upgrade to to fully-fledged natural gas, I can compress to 250 bar, which would be the equivalent of a full-day supply in a tanker. It is, it is possible, therefore, to shift... Uh, the gas from site to site. Yes, that is possible, and that is one of the things we're looking at. But the other thing to be looked at is that it may not be necessary to move it from site to site because compressed natural gas or compressed bio-natural gas, compressed BNG, is is a highly suitable truck fuel. So you can do a change on your trucks, and a lot of the big transport companies are talking to us now about the availability of BNG, whereas they will be able to move away from diesel and convert their uh, trucks to bio-natural gas or liquefied liquefied bio-natural gas. And so looking at data centres then, their need for power, we've spoken about how biogas can provide an element of the power they need now, whether that's uh, for backup power or uh, an element of gas for running their own generators. Is, Is this the kind of model that you can see happening when you know when you, you you're looking in an article, we're looking at renewables there. We're looking at a data center. We're looking at biogas potentially further down the line. There might be hydrogen. Mm. Is that the kind of mix that you can foresee happening where you have yeah, all the think, elements together? Yeah. Yes, I think I think we're always going to have we're always going to have a mix. There's no silver bullet technology out there which says, okay, we can stop using petrol or diesel today because we have this new technology. It's always going to be a blend of technologies. If you're, if you're dealing entirely in the renewable space, and the easiest way to describe that is to talk about things like solar. Solar become more efficient every single year. Somebody makes a better solar panel that needs less light to produce a little bit more electricity. But at the end of the day, it will be dark for 10 hours every night. <laughs> it doesn't really matter how good your solar panel is. It will not produce power when it's pitch dark. And so looking at the business model then for, for your plant, you have... You have a relationship with farmers. Presumably, um, are they paying you to take away some of their salary? Currently, at the moment, they're they're not. But what we're doing is we're 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 moving towards a a situation where, at this moment in time, the the utilization or the getting rid of digestate at the back end is a cost in the business model. 
and we need to move that to become cost neutral. So whether that means, okay, I'll take in 50 cubic meters of slurry off you because your tanks are full and you have to come back here and I'll give you 100 cubic meters of fertilizer. And therefore, the cost to me has now been neutralized and I'm not paying for the truck to bring it out or the tractor to bring it out or whatever. So I think we will reach out. And we do some other interesting things as well. Like in Roscommon, we've just installed a, a, a dryer, a heat recovery dryer to use the heat from our engines. And we're drying and pelletizing our digestase to be able to give you a ton bag of pelletized organic fertilizer that is 15 times more efficient and better than chemical fertilizer. We therefore got a process which takes in uh, a waste product, which otherwise would create emissions or go to and go to landfill, utilizes that waste product and produces something at the end that is uh, useful in agriculture, mm-hmm. that is cheaper than chemical equivalents, that has a better delivery rate. And in the middle, there is BNG produced, which sounds like an absolutely fantastic model. We've mm-hmm. also uh, said that at the moment, Ireland's behind the curve. We've got one plant, yours. Uh, if we had 250, then we'd have a 25% contribution to Ireland's energy needs. What's stopping this happening? I think it's the, it's like everything else. It's the cost. It's the availability of, of funding. These, these things are not cheap. I need to spend probably somewhere close to 15, 20 million quid to get one of these plants built. Um, if I... I have to do that using project finance, which is hugely expensive. If I can get finance at a cheaper rate, I'll build more because the payback time is shorter. The risk to me and to everyone else is lower. Um, and also, there are no tariff support schemes from the state where they are in and have been in every other state. I mean, the UK are currently still providing tariff support schemes, even though they've left Europe and everything else. But they 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 see the use of this. And there are thousands of plants built throughout Europe. An interesting figure is I think it's something like 45 commercial scale AD plants in the north of Ireland and three in the Republic. Have you spoken to government representatives about this? Uh, yes, we have. We, we, we've, we've got all our um, representative bodies on to all the various departments. We're on various steering groups and trying to produce good interest in this, which will see a reasonable sized industry develop. I think the difficulty is the availability of government support and the pandemic certainly won't have helped is is limited to where they see getting the best bang for their buck. And I think the difficulty will always be if you're going to produce a substitute to imported power, why would you spend twice or three times as much on it? The answer is it's a circular better off place for the state to be in and as you rightly pointed out well if we can get our our carbon footprint down that will mean less fines to be paid we will have to pay for less importing of green energy just to keep us below the threshold and also give the state an an ability to provide power itself without depending on third parties so there's power security and again every plant that's created uh, that is built will create some jobs yes there will be some jobs. We're 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 not the biggest job producer in the world. We won't have we won't have five hundred people working on one of our plants. But what we will have is we will probably support for every megawatt of electricity we do something like twenty to twenty five jobs, and that's on the transport sector on the way in, the transport sector on the way out. Um, farmers saving money on fertilizer. Guys, we've got working on the plant, and all the various engineering roles that go along with that. So 
you might see four people on the ground, but there's probably something like 30 people full-time employed in the operation of that plant. They're just not all working for Biocor. And so looking 10 years down the road at the evolution of the biogas industry within Ireland, its relationship with other renewables and data centres, what, what would you like to see 10 years from now? I would like to see the ability to produce all renewables made much easier, supported by the state. I don't I don't have any I don't have any fight with wind guys. I don't have any fight with solar guys and all of that is good stuff. I, I have my own industry that I'm in that we produce renewable energy in a particular way and that should be made as easy as possible. It should be supported by the state, be it in, in finance for building the plants at a low rate or as a tariff for producing a higher cost of electricity stroke natural gas. When there are fines that could be levied and where there are the commercial imperatives of any company that's in business, do you expect to see more industries such as wind, data, biogas, green hydrogen coalescing together? I do. I absolutely do. I think that for as long as we have an agricultural-based main spine to Ireland, there will be a requirement for all of the organic materials to be dealt with that we currently deal with and will deal with into the future. We will have a requirement once we keep in this process for for getting access to heat, getting access to end users for our power. And and I think there's nothing as efficient as, as as a big Microsoft or Google or big player like that saying, no, no, we, we want all our data centers to be this much renewable energy. We'll leave it there. And okay. thanks very much for joining us on Power and Responsibility, the Data Center podcast. It's good as ever to, to learn more about the type of technologies and renewable energies that can power data center and indeed part of the economy as a whole. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Declan. That's great. Thanks very much, guys. Power and Responsibility, the Data Center podcast is brought to you by Echelon Data Centers a company delivering large-scale data center assets that are more cleanly and sustainably powered now, moving towards 100% renewable green energy in the future. Echelon currently has six facilities under development in Ireland and the UK, with a potential combined capacity of around 500 megawatts. (laughs) 